We'll be in Luke chapter 9, verses uh, 10 through 17 this morning. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but uh, I like good stories, and I can remember stories uh, as a child that you're you read uh, in in school or wherever it may be, and I was thinking of the story of uh, Paul Bunyan. Uh, I like the name Paul, but also this uh, giant of a man, uh, and he, one day he finds this ox that is blue, that's really tiny, that just goes gigantic like him, and they do a bunch of uh, uh, tearing down trees and things, but you, you, you hear these stories, or the, the other story I can think of right now is the story of Casey Jones, and then I remember in sixth grade, our class for a whole semester studied Greek mythology. And you read all of these things, like you read about Hercules and the uh, 10 tasks that he uh, had to do, or you think about different um, uh, things that people are, stories. I know that some of you may believe these ones out there, so you're chasing, but I think about Bigfoot, or whatever you ever want to call him, Sasquatch, or you think about the abominable snowman, or uh, Nessie the Loch Ness Monster, and people chasing after those things. Some great stories, and we generally uh, like to hear a good story this week as I prepared to uh, preach on this text and look at this great, wonderful miracle that Jesus did when he fed the 5,000, I was surprised to come across um, some stories by university professors and some liberal theologians in the 19th century that wrote about this parable, I mean this uh, miracle, as well as other works of Christ. And I was amazed that People tried to explain away the miracles that Jesus do as something that really was not supernatural, something that was not uh, by the hand of God. And I'll just share with you a few of those that I came across. Is One of those was that people were explaining that uh, the crowds, we're going to read it in a minute, there's all these people gathered gather together, Jesus performs a miracle to feed them. And really what happened though was that the people were stirred with such a spiritual fervor that their appetites were just kind of quenched and no one actually ate anything. Uh, another, uh, another person was trying to teach a class and explaining that really what happened was as Jesus taught that the people were, were like, oh wow, they were so taken back with the teaching. Some had brought food and so they said, we need to share with other people. And this teacher was using that to explain that there needs to be a redistribution of wealth. You know, the rich need to give everything to the poor. And so it's like, okay, that's an interesting interpretation of the Gospel of Luke. And then the, the, the craziest one, um, uh, so if you believe this, sorry calling you crazy, but I'm saying the craziest one to me was Jesus told his disciples, go gather all kinds of food, put it in that cave. And they went there, the crowds came, and what they did is they formed a line and handed uh, fish and bread, and there was a slit cut in Jesus' cloak, and they'd hand it through, and Jesus was feeding everyone. So I know that some of us, we laugh about that, but you need to know that some people believe that or want to believe that because the reality is they do not want to believe who Jesus is. And that's what it comes down to. So this morning, we see a miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the only other miracle recorded in all four is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we have a text that's, uh, the Word of God is always important, but something to pay attention since it's included all four. As you turn to Luke chapter 9, the big idea this morning is this, that Jesus is the only one who can provide for all of our needs. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. 
On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him and welcomed him and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. The word of God. Father, I ask that you would help us to see that you are our great provider for not just physical needs, but our spiritual needs. We pray that, Holy Spirit, you would help us learn this morning. Would you bless the reading and the preaching of the word and help us to have ears to hear uh, and hearts that are open. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you did not see the text last week at Luke chapter 9, the first few verses, Jesus sends the disciples out on a mission and he tells them to specifically go and do the work that he had been uh, training and teaching them with, discipling them. We spent chapter 8 looking where Jesus healed. He cast out demons. He, they saw him raise a person from death to life. And now he, at that point, sends them out. Well, this is the point that they return. We find that they were obedient to go, as we saw last week, the call to not just go, but be obedient. And what we see here in the first couple verses in Luke 9, in verses 10 and 11, is we see that Jesus cares. It's evident from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's account that Jesus cares not only for his disciples, but he cares for the crowd that is uh, there. The disciples come back, and we know from our study that the ministry days for Jesus and the disciples are long. They're busy days. We've already seen that there hasn't been times when they've been doing ministry to even stop for a meal. And so Jesus brings them back and they says in verse 10 that they share with Jesus all that they had done and he takes them and withdraws uh, to Bethsaida. Now in Mark's account in Mark chapter 6 in verses uh, 30 through 33, the same account it says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure to eat and they went away by a boat to a desolate place themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran here on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So Jesus takes the men that he's sent them out and says, you need to come and rest. You need to take a break for a moment. But they find no rest. They get in a boat to leave. And everyone at this point knows who Jesus is. They've seen him. They recognize him. They see the 12. They know what they look like. The crowds are growing. And so as Jesus and the disciples depart across the water, the people see where they're going. And it says that they ran. They ran to the place where Jesus and the disciples came across over to Bethsaida. 
I was thinking this week and reflecting and going, if Jesus thought it was important for them to rest and he was taking them away, how come when they get to the other side and they see the crowd, they just turn the boat away? I wonder how many of the disciples like, Jesus, not anymore. I wonder how many of them were excited. Let's go see the crowds. What we do see, though, is that Jesus cares, and as the Gospel of Mark says, he has compassion on the people as a uh, shepherd has for the sheep. It actually says in Mark 6.34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. In our text in Luke, it says that Jesus welcomes them and he begins to meet their physical needs by healing. And he also meets, begins to meet the spiritual needs by teaching about the kingdom of heaven. John chapter 10, Jesus says and teaches us that he is the good shepherd. And in that description, I encourage you to go read John chapter 10 this week. It's a wonderful description of a shepherd who cares for the sheep, who loves the sheep. This picture of a shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And Mark says in this account of the 5,000 that Jesus sees them and has compassion on them as the same description as Jesus describes himself, a shepherd for the sheep. And so everyone is needy, right? You have needs. I have needs. 5,000 people at least are showing up there uh, and, and Jesus is there with the crowds. They all have needs. And when we saw Luke chapter 8, people wanted to be healed. They wanted their children to be saved. Uh, uh, demons cast out and on and on. Everyone has needs. The crowd is there and most likely all of the crowd there is wanting their physical needs met. They want to be healed. They want their diseases removed. And so there isn't a picture that the people are coming because they want their spiritual needs met. But what we see in the Gospels is that Jesus teaches them of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven as we've spent time in the last couple chapters looking at this. As he does this, I reflected on the charge that is to elders and pastors in churches today. You can read those charges in 1 Timothy and Titus and 1 Peter chapter 5. And elders and pastors are charged as under-shepherds with that same uh, charge, what we see Jesus doing. There's care for the sheep because of his compassion for them. And so the elders and pastors of a church must be following the example of the great shepherd, Jesus, and care for the flock because they have compassion that's driven through having a relationship with Jesus and following his example. So the charge for the elders and Sean and myself is to feed those who would come to this place for the teaching of the word of God. It's a charge that is not to be neglected. At the same time, we can spend time and and say, hey, we have the opportunity as a church to help meet, meet physical needs, just like we read of the early church in the book of Acts. If there was someone in need, someone sold their property and gave so it would be met. And so physical needs are just as important or emotional needs. And maybe there's a, a need for people to come alongside of one another with the word of God and encourage and pray for one another. But you see, Jesus not only provide for their physical needs, but also uh, teach us today that he's also the one provides for us spiritually. 
My question for you this morning is, do you care for others and have the same compassion as Christ for other people? One thing that's a really hot topic, especially in Missoula the last few days, is the coronavirus and wearing masks or not. Some of you texted me on Thursday afternoon after a decision. Some of you have spoken to me the last few days, and there is, it is a heated issue. Would you agree? Some of you are like, I don't want to say anything. Hey, it's a heated issue in our nation. Here's the problem that we have as followers of Christ. I don't care if you are, hey, we need to wear masks or not. I don't care what, what type of excuse or what type of thing you're holding to with that. The greatest problem we've had, I believe, in our congregation here in the last couple of weeks is a lack of caring with compassion for one another over the issue. And I would encourage you, therefore, to think about the words you say. Uh, think about how you interact. Uh, it's amazing to find that Christians are so divided that believers that they have known and fellowship with for years are not talking because of the issue that is going on. That's just one of many examples. The greater question would be for you is, do you care for others? Do you have the compassion of Christ? Do you, when you see others, whether they are inside the church or outside of the church, because Jesus had compassion not only for his disciples, but he had great compassion for the crowds. He didn't send them away. He didn't turn the boat around. Instead, he began to meet their needs. Look at verses 12 through 14 here in Luke chapter 9. We see that Jesus commands. Jesus makes a command to his disciples. And when I read this command, the only thing I could write down at that moment was that Jesus commands the impossible. Jesus gives the disciples a charge. He tells them to do something which is impossible for them to do. Look at verse 12. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away, and go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place." I wonder how long a day was this for Jesus and disciples? They'd already returned. He's already saying, hey, we need to go rest. And here's the crowds. Thousands of people are there. And Jesus is meeting their needs. The disciples are there with him doing and serving however that he's called them to do. I wonder really if the disciples were really concerned about the crowd or were they saying, hey, Jesus, send the way because I'm hungry. We need to take care of our food. We need to go find something to eat here. Were they concerned for the people? Did they have the compassion uh, of Christ for the other people? Uh, or were they just a little tired and hungry? Or were they a little hangry and uh, arguing with one another? Did they want quiet time to get alone? Well, Jesus commands his disciples to meet their needs. Look at verse 13. He says, you give them something to eat. I mean, imagine... We'll, talk, we'll, we'll look at it here in a minute. Five, just 5,000 people. And you're, you're out, and let's say 5,000 people are gathered here, and I say, hey, you guys, feed all these people. They came to church today. You're like, we don't have anything. I guess we'll order pizza or whatever. But again, they've gone to the wilderness. They've gone to a desolate place. They're outside of the cities. No one's got a bakery set by. The, the, they don't have fish coming in off the boats. And he says to his disciples, feed them. They need something to eat. I mean, he commands the impossible 
for his guys that are walking with him. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we were supposed to go and buy them. And you read the other gospel accounts, like, hey, Jesus, this is going to take a lot of money. This is going to take a bunch of days' wages just to feed them. This is something that's quite impossible. And so there's this kid, this boy. It doesn't say that he actually offered it, but they say, hey, there's a boy here with some fish, with some bread, and uh, Jesus uh, uses those humble means. But I would bring you back to it, and I would encourage you, go back and read Luke chapter 8. Go read Luke chapter 8. Remember what Jesus did in those days that he was walking with them. Go back to chapter 7 and see the miracles. Go back to chapter 6. Remember the widow who had an only son who died and he raises the child from death to life? Remember when they got in the boat and Jesus is with them and they are crossing the ocean and there's a storm and these fishermen who are very experienced think that they are going to die and Jesus says a word and the, the wind ceases? Remember Jesus casting out demons with a word, the the man who was in the tombs that was shackled up and he was just being tortured by a legion of demons and Jesus says a word and they have to depart? I'm like, did you forget? Guys, Jesus saying feed them and did you forget all that he's done? And what we see is something that probably we battle with is the disciples repeatedly think in the natural and they don't think about the supernatural work of God and I wonder how many times do we get stuck in day-to-day living thinking about our thoughts our ideas and we think in the natural and we completely forget as a believer the power of God the Holy Spirit who dwells in us So it's something that he tells them, commands them to do that's impossible. I thought about other commands that Jesus gives us. Love the Lord your God with all your what? Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. When you think about that, that's impossible for you to do. That's impossible for me to do. And then you add to it, love your neighbor as yourself. Wow, that's another one. Those are impossible things for us to do. When he said to the disciples to go out and then at the end of Matthew 28, the commission to them, the commission to believers today, go and make disciples. In your mind, you go, okay, we do church, we go to this, we go as missionaries, we do this, but reality, you can't make a disciple. These commands are impossible when you think about what Jesus is asking. He says, feed these thousands of people right now. Well, if you look at John chapter 6 with me, verses 5 and 6, we see that Jesus is testing. He's testing Philip. He's testing his disciples to see what are they thinking? How are they going to respond? And when you look at John's account of this in chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. 
He commands the impossible because Jesus already knows what he's going to do. He already has a plan. But the test is to see, are these men that have been following him, watching his example, seeing that he's displayed himself by God, that he's teaching them the things of God, are they going to trust in him or are they going to trust in the natural, to trust in the man, to trust in the man-centered ideas and the things of what they can do for those people? And I'll tell you this, as believers today, if we think in that mindset in regards to going and making disciples of what I can do for other people, you're never going to fulfill the Great Commission. The reason why is that we need the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit which scripture says for the believer dwells in our life. So the same power that raises Christ from death to life is the same power that lives in you if you're a follower of Christ. But yet how many days does this world distract us that we forget that such important truth for living the day? The Holy Spirit of God, God Almighty, living in us to empower us so that we would fulfill the commands that he's given us. If you look back in our text in verse 14, it says that there were about 5,000 men. The word there, men, means males. If you read Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 14, verse 21, when Jesus performs this miracle, it says, And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And so some people speculate, hey, was there 5,000 men and 5,000 women and children? Or was there 10,000? Was there 12? How big a crowd was this? Well, I don't care if it was just the 5,000 or as Matthew is clear, it says that, hey, there were women and children. So I don't know, 10,000. What if there were 20,000 people? Jesus says, hey, let's have some order here. Have them sit down in groups of 50. So he puts the disciples to work. They go out and begin to seat people in this. Men and women and children are involved here. And again, Jesus intends to display his power as God Almighty by feeding the people. Today, God displays the power of Christ through his word and through his people by the power of the Holy Spirit. But make it clear that God is the one that still does the work. That anything that I could claim, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. I remember when I started youth ministry and a church that I was serving at, that I, in my mind, would think, I saved seven kids this year. Because I shared with them about Jesus, shared the gospel, they prayed a prayer to receive the Lord. And I'm like, I didn't save one child. I didn't save one person. I simply shared the gospel and God does all the work. And so it's a great reminder when we look at the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus tells the disciples to go and do this work. We'll see that they actually pass out the food, but it's God who does the miracle to meet the needs of the people. And I believe when we get that correct in our minds today, that God blesses the ministry of the body of Christ in the local church and in the church uh, 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 around the world. And so he calls these disciples and commands them uh, this, hey, it's, it's a test to see if they're going to uh, 
put into place what they have been learning, but they need God to do the miracle. And so what we see in verses 15 through 17 is that Jesus provides. Jesus is the great provider. Look at with me at verse 15. And they did so and had them all sit down and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd and all ate and were satisfied. How many ate? What's it say? All? Did everyone? Now it says ate and were what? Satisfied. So last night we were having some hamburgers and there's some big hamburgers and, uh, I'm usually, I'm like, I'll have a couple of small hamburgers. These were big hamburgers. I ate and I was filled and I was satisfied. These people did not go away hungry because we see that there's food left over. If they wanted more food, there was more food for these people. Jesus looks to heaven. He has the bread. He has the fish. He breaks it. He looks to heaven and prays. What a great example for us. He prays to God, the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father. He prays to His Father and asks a blessing over and says a blessing over this food. Humble resources, fish and bread. And, and it's not that little tiny uh, chiclet type of bread that we serve at communion. You know, it's like pieces of bread and there's fish and they break it to serve to other people. The disciples pass it out. Disciples gather up. How many baskets? How many baskets were left over? Twelve baskets. Thousands of people. Everyone ate and were satisfied. And as I think about Jesus lifting his eyes to heaven and blessing the food and then the great provision, it reminds me constantly of this fact that we have a good heavenly father as uh, Matthew records in the Sermon on the Mount that when you ask the father gives to his children and he gives generously. And so this week I thought about my grandfathers, Grandpa uh, Taylor and, and, and Grandpa Herb. And I thought about my dad and I thought about my father-in-law, Denver. And I thought about these four men who generously give and bless their children and grandchildren. And I was like, wow, they've always set a great example to me. But here Jesus looks to heaven addressing the father and we must not forget that our Heavenly Father is a good Father. He cares for and loves His children. The fact that Jesus Christ is His Son, but yet He would adopt people who are enemies of Him. People that are sinful and God is holy. To think that He would save people, to adopt them as His own is one thing. But to bless them beyond that? I mean, it blows my mind to think back. We spent time in Ephesians uh, a year, I don't know, a year and a half ago. Go back and read chapter one. Think about all the spiritual blessings that God bestows upon his children because he's a good father who loves his children and is so generous. And I'm not sure about your experience in life, but 
it amazes me that each time that I see God pour out his blessings on his children, they're always abundant and they're always more than what I ever thought to think that God would just meet the need, but to think that he would actually give beyond is a wonderful truth that we see about our loving God. I wonder the people, their responses to what was going on that day. I wonder how many from the nation of Israel were there Recently, our family, we've been reading through some passages in the Old Testament and you come across Moses and you come across the nation of Israel and how when they wandered in the desert after God saved them, they just complained and complained to God that God still, because he poured out his steadfast love, he provided manna, he provided quail to the point that they were sick of it. When they complained about the water that they needed, he provided water in abundance. And I wonder if they're like, hey, this is kind of, Jesus guy is kind of like Moses. Well, the reality when we read this is uh, Jesus is a much better Moses. And he's the greater Moses. And he's the one who supplies all the need of his people. And so if you go back to where we started, the big idea is this, is that Jesus is the only one who can provide for all of our needs. My question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the one, the only one that can provide for all your needs? Because I'm sure we could gather our minds together and come up with a whole list of things in this world of where we can get this for free and get this provided here and that needs going to be met here and all these things, but they will never fulfill completely the needs of our heart. And so Jesus is the only one who can provide for all our needs. And I asked this question, I've been asking this question lately, if you've been with us, is why do I care? I read this. Do I believe it, number one? If I believe it, what, is it, what does it even mean to my life this week? How do I apply it? Because think about this. If you've been in church growing up like I have, I have heard this story, I don't even know how many times. Jesus, the kid with the fish and bread, and everyone ate. But I asked the question, how does it, do I even care Maybe I say I believe it, but what does it even have to do? How is it going to uh, move my heart, change anything, or help me this week? And as I reflected on Jesus meeting their physical need for food, a, a basic, most essential thing that all of us need. We need food, and we need water, or we die, right? Yet we see here, when Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom of God and we see through the gospels the work that he is doing leading to the cross, the greatest need for all mankind that Jesus repeatedly comes back to is not food and not water, but the need for a spiritual awakening in your heart. And so he says he is the bread of life. He says that he is the living water that can fulfill your greatest spiritual hunger. You ever been really hungry before? I mean, really hungry. Like past the point where your stomach is growling. You already went through the growling part. You're starting to feel headaches. You're starting to feel a little faint maybe. You're a little tired out. You need some, uh, uh, something for your blood sugar. You need something to eat. Think about that type of hunger going on physically 
And then think about this. Every single person that's born in this world has a spiritual hunger, a spiritual hunger just as ravenous. And if you remember, the crowds followed Jesus to this desolate, spiritual wasteland. I mean, a wasteland that to me is like this spiritual wasteland of our hearts. When you're born and I'm born, we've looked at scripture where it teaches us that, hey, every single person uh, has fallen short of the glory of God and we've all sinned. We've missed the mark. God is holy. We are not. And so God's word teaches us that's a problem because the wages of sin is what? Anyone know that verse? That the wages of sin is death. So God declares in his word that we are not holy and therefore the punishment for sinfulness is death. And it's eternal death. And that eternal death is separation from God Almighty, the one who has given you life, the one who said, let there be life. And it's not just this separation, it's a complete separation and a complete torment in a place that we believe in because scripture teaches it's called hell, where people will spend their eternity because they did not turn to Christ to have their spiritual need fulfilled You know, the disciples said, Jesus, you know, send them away. Maybe to them that was a good idea. Hey, Jesus, you just, hey, they need food, go send them away. I wonder how many of us in our life have had those types of thoughts spiritually, though. And we've come up with all kinds of things to meet our spiritual need because we really don't want Jesus. We really don't really want to follow Jesus. We may say we believe in Jesus, but we're like the disciples going, man, I've got a good idea. I'll I'll just meet my need this way and I'll chase after these types of things. And those disciples were just as helpless and hopeless to help those people uh, with their ideas because they had no way to solve the spiritual hunger of their hearts just as well as their physical hunger. There's a passage in the book of Acts that I was reading this week in Acts chapter 17. And the Apostle Paul, he's on these journeys and he's going into these cities and he's telling people about Jesus Christ and he's sharing them with them specifically what we call the gospel. And he is speaking to people in the city called Athens and they're on top of this place called the Areopagus where people just gathered together to share thoughts and to share good things about, uh, about life and to figure out things. And he says this in Acts chapter 17, verse 26 and 27. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each of us. He goes on to quote one of their local poets, but to address the reality of all men, women, and children in this world is that we are born 
into this world and we grope around in the darkness searching for God and our minds are never going to come up with the idea. We will never, as a person who is born into this world this way, you never come to a point where it's just the light bulb comes on and you go, oh, I need God. And you just turn to Jesus. It doesn't happen because scripture teaches us that God stirs our hearts by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts our hearts that we are sinners in need of a God to save us. And that's a wonderful, glorious thing if God's done that in your life. If not, Paul says you're groping in the dark and you don't have an answer. Your spiritual stomach is growling with great hunger for love and peace and joy and the truth and really the truth about God and it can only be filled by one person. He says he is the way, the truth, and the life. He says he's the great shepherd. He says he's the resurrection and the life. He says he's the light of the world and he declares himself that he's the savior of the world. Any guesses? Jesus. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one to meet that need. And so we come to this last thing is, okay, great. You told me something wonderful, but how? How does Jesus actually do that? Okay, I'm, I'm hearing that, hey, I, I, need some, I need some spiritual help here. I need my, that hunger being met. You're saying the answer is Jesus. Well, here it is. Paul tells the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he says, hey, I preached to you. I told you the most important thing that you need to know for life. And he said that Jesus Christ died on a cross you go, okay, he died on a cross. No, he died on a cross for a reason. The reason is for our sins. And Jesus Christ became sin for you. He took your place on the cross and there he died. His blood flowed out of him. His heart stopped beating. His lungs stopped filling with air. He physically died, but the word of God also teaches that God the Father poured out his wrath on the Son that's meant for me, meant for you. And Jesus died there. He was taken off the cross, placed in a tomb. It was sealed. And on the third day, from death to life. Walked with his disciples, walked with a number of followers, taught them. He ate with them, gives them a great commission and a short time later ascends to heaven. They watch him go into those clouds like the ones we're looking at right now and they're standing there and the angels are like, why do you keep looking up here? Go into the city and do what you're supposed to do. Go and pray. And Jesus said that he will return. He's promised that. And when you read the word of God, you see that all of God's promises are true and he fulfills every single one. So this is the good news. You are dead and have a spiritual hunger. Jesus is the reason and the only way to answer that need. And it happens through the cross and the empty tomb. And the Holy Spirit opening your eyes that you would believe that Jesus Christ is Lord that you would repent of your sins and you would follow him. You know, I could tell you, we could actually pass out a sheet here or put it online for those tuning in and say, hey, would you pray this prayer right now? And I've told people to do that. And you know what? That's not bad, but I'm just saying, hey, if God's calling you to him or if God uses you this week to share the gospel with someone, 
Praying to the Lord, yes. But God does a change of the heart. He takes the heart of stone, gives the heart of flesh. He makes the person, a sinner, to be holy because the Holy Spirit dwelling in their heart. So where are you hungry and thirsty for today? Jesus says this in John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You go to John chapter 7, in verse 37 through 38, Jesus says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, are you thirsty this morning? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow living waters. So there's always two people. There's always two people in the room, or at least I think of it that way, that some of you are followers of Christ, and therefore you need to be reminded, because the Holy Spirit dwells in you, that this living water flows from your life. You need to continue to walk with Christ, to read his word so that the Holy Spirit would continue to fill you up, empower you, and send you out to fulfill the impossible commands that are given to us. And if you're not a follower of Christ, and today the Holy Spirit is stirring your heart, I would say to you, as the Apostle Paul said, I would, I, actually, I, he says, I beg you. I say the same thing. I beg that you would be reconciled to God and confess your sins and believe in Jesus as Lord. As the worship team comes back up, I'm just going to pray for us. I want you to spend a minute, just reflect. What is Jesus Christ teaching you this morning from his word? What is Christ calling you to? Is it to grow in your compassion and care for others? Is it this morning you need to be reminded that he's the great provider for all of your needs? And if you're anxious and worrying right now, you need to call out to your good father who provides because he loves you. So physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, call out to him. And lastly, if you need Christ to save you, call out and he's faithful to do that.